Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. And welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show via email. Just click on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, an email will magically arrive in your inbox and you will be notified. We are also now on Facebook, so you can befriend us there. Now, I bet you've never heard Beryllium. Today we talk to a company that's at the forefront of technology surrounding this extremely light, rare metal. IBC Advanced Alloys trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the ticker IB.V. It has a market cap around $30 million with revenue this year of around $20 million. It currently trades around $0.17 cents with a year high around 20 and a year low around 12 it has beryllium exploration properties, a beryllium manufacturing arm with its own proprietary beryllium aluminium alloy, and also an extensive beryllium R&D arm. IBC's boss is a gentleman called Anthony Dutton, an entrepreneur and seasoned business investor, and he's sitting here with me now in my flat overlooking the Thames. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Dominic. Now, I suppose the place to start is, is beryllium. Um, you, you did a presentation yesterday, and, and you passed around some, some beryllium chunks, or a, if you like, and, and it's an extremely light. I mean, it, it was so light, my hand almost rose up when, when, I, when I held it. And it, you look at it, and it says a thick, solid metal, and you expect it to, you know, you expect it to be a lot heavier. So, so what is beryllium, and, and what's it used for? What are its properties? Well, it's a very common phenomenon when people pick it up. They're expecting something a lot heavier. It is like almost picking up air. It's extraordinarily light. It's the second lightest of all metals after lithium. But as you know, you can't expose lithium to oxygen. Otherwise, it will spontaneously combust. But beryllium is one of those magic metals that is really all around us, but very few people know of its existence. Uh, around us, it's primarily used in alloy form, primarily as a copper beryllium alloy or as an aluminium, aluminium beryllium alloy, and we manufacture both of those. In its pure form, it's used in some very esoteric, scientific, and strategic ways. For example, the Hubble Space Telescope has got a complete substructure of beryllium because of its inherent lightness and its, uh, and its strength. It's a very, very strong metal, extraordinarily stiff. Uh, it doesn't spark. It's transparent to x-rays. It's got some unique characteristics for which it makes... Uh, there are very few substitutes for some applications. So it's a very, very widely used metal, but as I said, not a metal that many people are aware of. And, and how, how rare is it? I mean, is it as rare as gold, or is it more common than gold? Or? Uh, it's not as rare as the name would suggest. It is a rare metal, like tantalum or niobium, but it's, uh, it's not uh, rare in that sense. What is quite rare, what's the choke point of the industry, is the processing capacity. There's really only two processors of beryllium hydroxide in the world, 
One is in the United States and the other in, is in Kazakhstan, and the one in Kazakhstan uh, are our partners. The history of beryllium is that it uh, was required, it is required for a nuclear reaction, it either as a neutron reflector or as a heat moderator, and as such, it owes its uh, history to the nuclear arms race between Russia and the United States. And today, 50 years on, 90% of the market are the commercial applications for beryllium. So there was a trickle down over the years into the commercial market. Okay, now you've mentioned the word nuclear there. That's obviously a theme that's on everyone's minds at the moment because of what's happening in Japan. And uh, I mean, this week we've watched the uranium sector fall by 40 or 50%, and, and a lot of people are declaring it's all over for nuclear power. Um, why don't you tell us about beryllium's new use in the, um, in the nuclear process? And I, I understand you have a a technology where you can somehow, well, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'll venture, you can replace uranium with beryllium? Or? Not quite. You can enhance the uranium with beryllium. But let me just step back before yeah. I explain the, the technology in, in more detail. When we formed the company in 2007, we wanted to make sure that uh, there was a nuclear future for beryllium. The, uh, the, one of the founding shareholders of this company is a very large head fund from New York, which had done very well in the uranium cycle and understood the nuclear renaissance and wanted to invest in another metal that was going to be a big part of the existing nuclear business, but it had a very large role, potential role to play in the future. Can you say who that hedge fund is? That or? was James Passon of Firebird uh, Management. Okay. He was a strong and loyal shareholder of IB. He owns about 35% of the company. And... Uh, we were exploring for other opportunities to take advantage of the nuclear renaissance, and we very quickly found that beryllium was a big part of the existing nuclear infrastructure. It's in virtually all nuclear reactors as a heat reflector and as a moderator. But much more importantly, and this is where the true blue sky upside is for um, IBC, is its potential as an additive to nuclear fuel. And we have come across some research that's been done by Purdue University and Texas A&M universities in the United States. They've been doing it since about 2005. We took over sponsorship of the program in 2008, and we now have exclusive license to this uh, IP, this intellectual property. And what they have shown is that by adding a small amount, approximately 4 or 5% of beryllium oxide to the uranium oxide, you dramatically improve the thermal, thermal conductivity of the fuel. One of the problems they're having in Japan right now is they're effectively turning off the nuclear reactors and powering them down, but the fuel assemblies, the fuel rods, and the fuel pellets are remaining very, very hot. Their center line temperatures and the stored energy within the fuel assemblies just is remaining because there's no natural way for the heat to escape because the existing generation of nuclear fuel doesn't have very good thermal conductivity. So we have discovered and realized that by adding a little bit of beryllium oxide to the nuclear fuel, you can, without impairing any of the power output of the fuel rods, you can dramatically improve the thermal conductivity of the nuclear fuel, thereby in an emergency situation, as we're now witnessing in Japan, if you were to effectively turn off the nuclear reactor that was powered with a beryllium-enhanced nuclear fuel, the whole fuel assembly would cool down much more quickly, dramatically improving the safety margins. And it's been a very, very busy week for us. We've been inundated with telephone calls from various companies who are interested in this technology that we have the rights to. And uh, in a very timely uh, development on the 17th of February, which uh, was, what, two weeks ago, I guess, three weeks ago, 
Uh, we signed an agreement with GNF, which is a global nuclear fuels joint venture made up of GE, Toshiba, and Hitachi, who want to join us in our uh, R&D work uh, on this fuel. So that's a huge endorsement from three of the largest players in the nuclear industry. And while, as you said earlier, there's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction going on right now in, 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 in the aftermath of what's happening in Japan about you know, putting the whole uh, future of nuclear power into question, I believe, and I think most people uh, believe, that the future of nuclear power is very, very good. Um, there might be a, a two- or a three-year setback as people analyze some of the safety issues, but uh, in the long run, nuclear power is going to play a big part of our, of our power um, energy needs, and we hope to play a big part in that. Yeah, I mean, just going to one side for a second, I, I think one of the problems people have with nuclear is that it sounds ridiculous, but they confuse between nuclear energy and atom bombs and they've all watched lots of films in the 1970s, you know, Cold War, where the theme was the Cold War and nuclear fallout. And so people assume when something goes wrong with nuclear energy that it's going to be like Hiroshima or something. And well, the nuclear industry has one of the safest, or rather best, safety records of any energy source on, yeah. on the planet. Our vice president of nuclear fuels, a gentleman by the name of Jim Malone, he for 15 years was uh, the senior executive vice president of Exelon Corp., which runs uh, 20, sorry, 17 nuclear power stations in the United States and accounts for 22% of all electricity, electrical power generated in the United States. And during his 15 years there, he said there, was, there were some safety concerns, but they were very, very minor and very easily solved. Yeah, well, the, 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 the issue is, is you can't see radiation, and people don't understand nuclear power and it's easy to be frightened of yeah. something that's that intangible of yeah. something that you can't see but anyway let's we're, we're not here to to let's so this proprietary technology that you're developing is as is, is a result of one of the arms of the company your r&d arm um do you want to talk some more about the other r&d work you're doing or should we move on to your um manufacturing arm why don't we move on to the manufacturing okay. arm or i could maybe just give you a break quick encapsulation of how the company is structured. Yeah. You know, we have three divisions to the company, manufacturing, R&D, and the resource. And the whole function of the R&D division, which is uh, us sponsoring third-party R&D initiatives, but the whole function of that is to drive demand for our core mm -hmm. asset, which is beryllium. And so as I say to everybody, our business plan is very, very simple, Dominic. It's a $2 billion market. We aim to take a bigger and a bigger piece of that market, and we're doing so with each successive year. The company is only three years old. Our revenues have gone from 12 to 14 to 20 million. But more importantly, we're looking to make the market bigger or to make the pie bigger, and that's what our R&D initiatives do. And if we can make the pie bigger and own that bigger piece of the pie, whether it's through our nuclear fuels initiative or whether it's through the development of new alloys or new markets or new applications, um, that is going to be to the benefit of the company and ultimately to the benefit of the shareholders. So another piece of, uh, of kit that I was passing around the presentation yesterday was a new alloy that we've developed, which is a beryllium aluminium alloy, which has got some very, very unique applications. We'll replace other materials, um, such as plastics and steels and aluminums, um, primarily in aerospace applications, and that's a new market for not only our company, but a new market for the industry. And so if we can own that new market, which has got the potential, we believe, to be worth 
hundreds of millions of dollars a year, that again is going to be a very good thing for our company and our shareholders. And again, um, we put out a news release on Tuesday of this week. Bad day to put out a news release. Uh, a very thought. bad day, but a very, very good news release nonetheless. And I hope that the market is going to kind of catch up and really digest what it is because it's extraordinarily significant. But we signed a development contract with the Army Research Labs and the U.S. Air Force exploring how we can use our new beryllium aluminum alloys on a, in a variety of aerospace applications. As, as you know, um, in aerospace, as in other uh, areas of, of the market, you know, weight is paramount, and whenever they can reduce weight and increase or maintain the strength or the, or the integrity of whatever it is that they need, um, that is uh, a big plus for whatever program. Could, could you build a whole plane out of this alloy? No, or? you couldn't, uh, primarily because um, um, beryllium is uh, very stiff, and yeah. that wouldn't lend itself to certain structural applications. There's sometimes in an aerospace component where you really want rigidity, uh, there's other times when you don't want rigidity. So, for example, in wing structures, if you look out the window of your jet and you see the wings moving, yeah. uh, that's because there's a lot of flexibility in the aluminium that they use for the wings. Um, in other applications, usually within the airplane or as support structures, you want to have rigidity. Uh, so we would be looking at the applications where rigidity, lightweight, and strength are very important, and there are many of them. Okay, and so the, the, you've signed a deal with the U.S. Army. And uh, the U.S. Air Force. The, sorry, the U.S. Air Force. How, how, how much is it for? How long is it for? It's a six-figure contract. I can't get into any more details because of confidentiality that we've signed. Yeah. But uh, the important thing that your readers under, or listeners understand is that there's a three-phase uh, process to securing these large multi-million dollar contracts with uh, the U.S. Air Force and Army. There's a development phase a prototype phase, and then ultimately the production phase. So effectively, in the first phase, they ask you to manufacture one or two parts according to these specifications. In the prototype phase, they might ask you to manufacture 20 or 30, yeah. and they'll test them. And then in the production phase, they'll say, we love your product, can you manufacture us 20,000 over a 10-year contract, for example. So a small development contract can lead to a you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars over an annual basis. Okay, excellent. Do you want to expand a bit more on your other manufacturing projects? Uh, the, 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 the big excitement in the company right now has been this uh, news release and our work with, the, uh, with uh, the Army Research Labs in the aerospace on the beryllium aluminum applications. We also have another division of the company, which is beryllium copper. And those uh, applications range from oil and gas telecoms, um, industrial machinery, component parts, beryllium copper has a number, the alloy beryllium copper, a number of very, very positive benefits in certain manufacturing processes, plastic injection molding, for example. So that is also a very significant revenue driver for our company, which enjoys good margins, margins and, and healthy growth. So our company on the manufacturing basis is split between the beryllium copper and the beryllium aluminum. Right now, the beryllium copper divisions are larger than the beryllium aluminum. We think, however, over the next 18 to 36 months, that will change around because the beryllium, beryllium aluminum does have a much uh, higher growth profile. Okay, excellent. Do you want to tell us about your exploration projects? I'd love to tell you about our exploration projects. We have three of them, um, two of which are not really uh, in, in the full phase of uh, exploration. The third one, which is in Utah, is 7,500 acres, uh, immediately next door to the world's largest operating beryllium mine run by an American company. And uh, we have recently flown some airborne there and uh, analyzed the, the data. 
We know that we have beryllium there because we've actually literally taken surface samples of it. We now know that the same structures that the mine immediately next door, that they are mining, extend into our property. So the plan is to do a small drill program probably starting June, July of this year so that we're able to uh, build out a 43101 resource compliant uh, um, estimate of that, uh, of that asset. Okay. Now, at the beginning of the interview, I said you've got uh, revenue of around 20 million and your market cap's, you know, 30 million. Um, presumably, you know, your, your comp- company's growing, so presumably you're putting all your revenue or your profit, at least, back into the company. It's all about growth at this stage. And as you recall, if you were, you were at the presentation yesterday, we've been increasingly been getting uh, the most flattering compliment that we can get with a lot of people. We, we were at the PDAC in Toronto uh, last week, and a number of people suggested that we looked like a company called Neo Materials did 10 or 12 years ago when they had revenues of about 25 to $30 million, a market cap of approximately the same. And today, 10 years on, they have revenues of $300 million and a market cap of $1.2 billion. So that's, a, that's the kind of growth that we aspire to. We know that's a very realistic target over the next decade, uh, especially with some of these aerospace applications on the beryllium aluminum side. Um, as I said, the market has not seen any kind of new initiatives in new alloy development, new market development over the last 20 years. Um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. We're already picking some of that. And as we are the only pure-play beryllium alloy company out there, all the other beryllium aluminum alloy companies are, are part of much larger organizations. We are a pure-play. Uh, we are very flexible. We're focused on our customers. We have some of the best lead times in the business, excellent pricing, and we're developing a fantastic reputation with our customers. Okay. Now, you have your three arms, your manufacturing, your R&D, and your exploration. Does, where is your revenue coming from? Obviously not your exploration, or not yet anyway. All manufacturing. And uh, that, that, that typically is what you would see in any vertic- vertically integrated uh, um, metals company. As you know from following the gold sector, you know the gold sector is a very large, large sector, and so you can be a profitable operator of a mine, a proper, you know, profitable operator of a refiner, a proper, uh, profitable operator of a downstream manufacturer of gold jewelry, for example. In the specialized in rare metals and rare earths, for that matter, it's much more important to have a vertically integrated corporate structure. So the companies that have succeeded in, in, in the specialized in rare metals over the years are the ones that have control right through from the mine right through to the market. And we spent a good 12 months analyzing the, 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 the structure of the successful companies and very quickly realized that the ones who were able to maintain and develop long-term shareholder value were the ones who could control each element of the value chain. I see, because you can't just deliver your beryllium into the spot market and, and... There is no spot market. Yeah. So there's a, you know, exactly an example of why you need to be vertically integrated and, and control the whole process. Okay. Management. How, how much of the company does management own? And, and, I mean, you said that one fund owns 35% of the company. Management own... Well, I'll divide that into two answers. Management probably and, and founders own between 10 and 12% insiders... Uh, under the classic definition of the TSX rules, own about 3%. Okay. And so another 35% is owned by that one institution, and the, the rest of the money is retail, or how much? Um, the rest is about 80% of the rest is about yeah. institutional, and 20% would be retail. Okay. Um, the l- Let me ask you a question, and uh, forgive me if I'm being a bit bold, but I, I was reading some of the chat boards about your company yesterday, 
and uh, one of the one of your investors said that the the venture exchange in Canada isn't the best place for you because it's too obsessed with resource stocks and you'd be better off on the Nasdaq. Do you do you have any thoughts on that? That's a very good question, Dominique, and that that uh, poster on the chat board I think is uh, very insightful. We we owe our beginnings to the venture exchange. Uh, we raised our initial uh, funding there and we're able to to grow the business to where we are now. And I think while I'll always be loyal to the venture exchange, we're going to quickly outgrow it if we haven't already begun to outgrow it. And uh, I can tell your listeners that we're already uh, evaluating a number of options to move to uh, um, co-listings, probably in the U.S. market. I'm not sure if NASDAQ would be the appropriate one for us at this stage, but Amex certainly would be. But uh, again, it's a very good question. And uh, There's only so much you can say at the only moment. Only so much I can say at this point, yes. Okay. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we've talked for a long time and it's been very interesting and I, I think we've covered everything. So uh, as we close, is there anything else you'd like to say? Do you want to, you, uh, you've kind of given us the blue sky already, um, but, uh, you know, why don't you give out your website as we close and say how people can get hold of you if they want to. Okay. Well, I would like give to, us some blue sky as well, you know. Well, I would like final... to say in closing is that, uh, you know, rare metals are emerging very rapidly as a, as a defined asset class and a lot of investors who five to be years... to be distinguished from rare earth metals yes yeah exactly and five years ago even you know two years ago rare metals where we are is an area that a lot of people probably wouldn't even look to put their money but they're now beginning to realize that uh, what we do and what we produce are a part of their everyday lives are only going to become more important in manufacturing as uh, you know materials performance lightweight and all the things that we can offer become more and more important and so we predict a very, very rosy future for, for our company. We are already seeing the growth that I've mentioned. We've got a very strong order book. We're having a lot of new interest from the customer and the client side from existing applications to new ones. So we're looking forward to growing this business and hopefully some of your listeners will be coming along with us. Um, for more questions or more answers, please visit our website, which is www.ibcadvancedalloys.com and uh, you'll be able to find my contact details there. Thank okay, and uh, I'll put a link up on the home page. And um, is there a presentation that people can watch there as well? There is a presentation right on the front page of the website. And also we have a very good Facebook page, which again can also be uh, linked from, from the website. Okay, excellent stuff. Anthony Dutton, thank you very much. Thank you. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 